Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Super Revenue Brothers podcast with Tony and Raul. We are super excited today to talk about one of the topics that is really important in our ventures, which is how do you run good sales meetings? And I think just to kind of clarify, right, kind of it's uh, what, what kind of sales meetings are we talking about, Jero? You tell me, I mean, uh, what, what should be in a sales meeting? And is it also when marketing is included or not? Is that a good thing? No, but I mean, I think the, you know, when some people hear sales meeting, they hear like a new biz, you know, a customer facing, prospect facing kind of meeting, right? But in this case, we're specifically talking about the internal stuff, right? And um, I think you see it on the venture side, uh, you know, maybe kind of comment on this in a second, but on, on, on our side, really, Having the ingredients to have a strong operating cadence internally across your commercial team, a lot of people are struggling to figure this out, actually. And a lot of people, and I think this is your experience, maybe also wasting a bunch of time having weirdo meetings that are you know, maybe not correctly prepared, that maybe don't have a clear purpose. And, uh, and folks just end up wasting a bunch of time on this at the end of the day. Obviously, you maybe have to have that meeting, but the number one time killer, and I'm not going to tell anyone anything new, is how many people are in that meeting and what are they doing there? I'm not one of these, every meeting needs to be a specific way. Every meeting needs to have a specific agenda or cancel it. I think there's a lot of people selling themselves on LinkedIn, talking about like meeting puritanism. I think a meeting doesn't have to be hundred percent perfect to be worthwhile, but first you should still ask yourself, what is it there for? And I know, for example, and I, I take a lot of inspiration from you guys at Groblox that you really champion this QBR thing, for example, which the QBR itself is not about the meeting, but it's about something that happens behind. And the meeting is sort of a combination or it's a series of meetings that lead up to a thing. And that's something I'm a really big fan of. So I think that the best organizations I've seen, there's not just a meeting series where somebody thought, hey, should, we should talk about this once a week, but there's sort of a methodology that feeds each other. So maybe there is a meeting where the sub teams talk about their goals once a week, and then once a month, the leaders of the sub-team sit together and talk about the department's goals. Something very simple as that. Yeah. But let's let's dive into it and make it like super tangible, right? Let's just say you look at a weekly cadence. And and yes, there might be different flavors out there. You know, from your perspective, best practice-wise, and I'm happy to kind of add my own piece to it as well, what should be stuff happening on a weekly basis? Who, who should be in there? What should this be roughly around? And, and things are different, you know, don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, if you look at your run-of-the-mill B2B SaaS team uh, that has a formed go-to-market motion, right? And we're talking about only the commercial cadence. What would be things you think need to happen on a weekly basis? Yeah, so there's a couple of things that I think should happen regularly, but if you take everything away, the number one by far priority is the, you could call it support of the salespeople or the operational sales meeting. That should happen at least once a week, maybe more. It could even be something like a daily stand-up split apart into 15, 20 minutes a day. And that is designed and has the simple goal of, yes, keeping up spirits. Yes, maybe updating each other a little bit. And also having an eye on the forecasting. But number one goal of that meeting is helping the salespeople be better in their daily interactions. Which is why this needs to happen very regularly to be really close to the pulse. What challenges are people having? Uh, hey, we've had this problem. I can connect you to that person to solve that. Hey, how do we deal with that in marketing? Hey, um, can you give me a short coaching on this kind of client? And as a leader, you need that to really have a grip to, to be able to help your team. 
but also to be able to uh, to learn from each other because if you otherwise you could do this one on one but the point here really is that if i do this every single week after a couple of weeks i realize what tony's doing really well and maybe he's realizing what i'm doing well and we get better as a result uh, i mean to a degree right and this is one of my hypotheses is sales forecasting meetings are not about getting more accurate on your forecast is actually a, a sales rep enablement meeting. And it sounds very much like it also from your side, but would you wrap something like this into, is that a sales forecast call? Is kind of, is that the meeting where this would happen or how do you, how do you see that? So to me, no, they could happen in the same thing, but they would have, they would, they could happen in the same meeting slot, but they would have dedicated slots. And I'm curious actually how you see that, because again, I'm a fan of your methodologies for especially QBRs. And they're not the same thing, but they're sort of in the same vicinity. Yeah. So what we actually, what we are seeing is, and Growblox is solving a bunch of things. If you, if you boil it down though, I think what we're doing is we're enabling teams to do GTM forecasting, right? Not sales forecasting. Sales forecasting is just for a small part of your bow tie. We kind of enable you to do the full funnel, go to market, end to end, however you want to call it, forecasting. And in order to do that well and, and manage well towards the end of the year, there needs to be an operating cadence around this, right? And uh, yeah. the funny thing is, I'm not sure if it's funny or not, but if you put this side by side with the habits that organizations have built around sales forecasting, it's actually very similar, just potentially on a different time frame, right? So what I believe, and kind of that goes into, into your case there, I think number one, there should be an accountability meeting happening on the sales side, kind of, hey, what is the number that we are saying we want to hit and gonna hit and here's a gap plan and remediation plan and you can go into all kinds of details with that stuff and i think this should be physically separated from what you're talking about um which is more of a of a learning session there will be similar topics by the way don't get me wrong but this is the same learning that we've seen you know across our customers but also you know previously when when we were operating businesses uh, on that scale it's basically the kind of mindset that people walk into a meeting like this, right? Are they on the defense and kind of closing up and needing to make sure that they don't get fired? Or are they actually opening up, talking about mistakes and learning something, right? So on a QBR, right? If you run the QBR in the wrong way and people are, you know, walking in and coming with, you know, with this expectation, okay, who, who of the three of us is going to get fucked over today? If that's the way you walk into the meeting, the results will be extremely poor. Um, Accountability also sometimes needs to happen, don't get me wrong. If you walk into the meeting, hey, we have a shared problem, we want to figure out the solution to that on a QBR level, much better going forward. And I think the same logic you know, goes also down to um, a weekly sales forecasting or the sales habits around this. I think there should be something which will probably have the forecast uh, at its center in order to enable the folks. And really the forecast is really just another way to teach the sales process and see what the next step is and see what the obstacles are. And then number two, you basically have on top of that, then a, a session that is where you're reporting upwards, right? Where you maybe as the sales manager need to say, okay, what is the number that my team is going to deliver? And that has very little to do with enablement. This is, this is, hey, this is, this is the roll up that's happening and people around the business need to know what's going on in the sales side. So you, you made a very good point there, which is, how do people go into those meetings, right? I would agree with you in a world where you actually didn't do your job well as a sales leader. Because if you do your job well, people won't go into a forecast meeting expecting to get a rip, rip the new one. Um, but they would actually, you describe it as like two extremes of one spectrum. I know you were trying to make a point there, which is one is, hey, this is great. I'm happy. I'm going to be helped. And the other is I'm going to be criticized. I'm going to be scrutinized and they will see actually what's happening. 
I think when you're doing your job well as a sales leader or as a sales org, you manage to get the, the two of them quite close to each other, which doesn't mean they have to be the same meeting, but they're actually not that different anymore from each other because people are still very open and they still request help and all that. Maybe the goals are a little, little bit different. But I would like to really go away because so one of the ways you can royally fuck up forecasting is if your forecast meeting really consists of salespeople sitting there and you as a sales leader look at them and be like, hey, Tony, how much are you bringing in this month? Is account A coming? Yes or no? And you have no fucking idea how to answer that question. So you're just going to say yes. So I shut up and leave you alone and go to the next person. And then we got no wiser and the forecast got no more accurate and we have no, nothing else to do. And this still happens way too often. Yes. And I think one way to think about forecasting, and, and so, so I sometimes make a point of like, hey, those forecasting meetings are useless. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, let's, let's debate that for a minute. By the way, there's a, you know, in, in even traditional forecasting meetings, what's really helpful is obviously the, hey, I'm running into this obstacle with, this, with legal. Can you help me out with legal internally? Right. So there's this, you know, juggling internal stakeholders. But what I think is sometimes counterproductive or, or just not helpful is, um, you know, there's a lot of time, you know, in those meetings is invested in this forecasting accuracy, right? Kind of, I, are you going to be calling your number right? But that's kind of the wrong, to a degree, that's kind of the wrong focus. What you want to focus on, how can we get a bigger number? Whatever the number is we're calling, how can we improve that number? And that very much happens either in a more an enablement fashion that you kind of mentioned earlier, or it happens in a different meeting, by the way. Because, you know, most of the time, depending on your sales cycles, you walk into a new quarter and you can have the most accurate forecasting, you know, in the world, but it will still be below where you want to end. And that is because, you know, pipeline isn't there, leads aren't there, opportunities aren't there, you know, sales reps aren't there that, you know, we're supposed to kind of deliver those opportunities and so forth. So it's, that's kind of my main beef with the forecasting stuff. If it, if it's, if it's focused on enablement, I think it's great. If it's focused on accuracy, which can be a way to enable, don't get me wrong. I understand these connections. Also great. If it's only about the accuracy, I kind of don't care about this because first of all, you can use a tool for that. Maybe, maybe not, you know, not Growbox in that sense. But number two, I'm way more interested in is how can I get more money instead of getting, you know, overly, overly accurate with this thing, right? So my head always goes, sales, sales meeting is great. What are the other meetings you need in order to run the show in the right way? So I know the show is about us fighting about things sometimes, but I agree a thousand percent with you there. And I actually think this is, something where you and maybe also Growblocks, because Growblocks sort of represents that thinking, is way ahead of its time still, really. Because if I look at, not a particularly a company pie, but all the sales leaders I've seen over the time, and a lot of them were great, but they go through a sort of a evolution, right? And in the beginning, they know nothing. They're sort of trying to understand, okay, what's happening? Maybe they're becoming a team lead, and they're trying, trying to sort of get their team around them. They're putting a lot of time and effort into people. And so that's how they sort of make the first couple of years or so. And that's beginner level. Intermediate level is the most dangerous one because that's where they sort of have the Dunning-Kruger effect kick in. They have a little bit of confidence. They have a little bit, maybe they've even been part of an exit and they really think very highly of themselves. People invite them to conferences or to podcasts such as this one. And they say stuff like we do. And then they do a lot of the times what you're talking about right now, which is uh, I get, need to get really good at forecasting because they want to sell themselves to the board. They want to sell themselves to the CEO. They want to make themselves be sort of this driver of the growth. And the ones, that's the intermediate level, but the ones that are really advanced and the ones that have really been around the block a couple times, they have sort of mellowed it down to exactly your position, which is 
I don't really give a fuck about forecasting. I know that we need to have a forecast because it's important, but it's not important because of the number. It's important because of the work put in to actually get to a forecast. And what I really care about is exactly what you said, um, which is how do we reach a higher number? And so you were sort of at an elevated level already. So I don't know, maybe it's just a different stage of the Dunning-Kruger here. But I think the the other piece is also, and I had this happen yesterday on a call, but the thing is, and for all the VP sales CROs kind of listening to this, when you walk into the boardroom and you missed your number, what is it that you're going to say why you missed it? And if the answer is something along the lines of the team is new, maybe the team was a little bit lazy, hey, the ramp up is too slow, you know, maybe quotas are too high, this one deal slipped. If this is how you're answering how you missed target, I think you are, um, you're not thinking about this yet fully correctly, I would believe. It's part of the story. But the real answer those VCs are going to be after is, hey, you know, the demand gen engine didn't uh, deliver enough pipeline. Uh, or, hey, our conversion rate in that segment dropped. Or the ACV overall, we had to give too many discounts. You know, this is root cause analysis that you can do something about or, you know, couldn't have seen sometimes maybe coming up. But, you know, I see it as a symptom of an organization that still is in this, like the the sales wrap is the center of how how you make money, which is, I think, not true. It's a symptom of those organizations that always talk about forecasting, AEs, quotas, and so forth. And I think this is, you know, if, if you want to, if you're listening and kind of thinking about this, where am I on the spectrum? Don't want to, you know, no offense, I hope. Um, kind of is, if this is how you're thinking about the world and this is how you're explaining your loss or your kind of miss of target in some cases, I think you're kind of, you still have some, a nice learning curve ahead of you. <laughs> let's, just, let's just say it like that, right? But um Enough about those sales forecast meetings and stuff, right? So I think I think the um, and my belief is all of that is nice and good, uh, but the problem starts way earlier than that. What I used to do as CRO, I had a weekly demand gen meeting, and the demand gen meeting was VP of marketing, VP of inside sales. I had inside sales roll up to me and said through you know the the salesperson, so SDRs outbound, all of that stuff, and when you have it someone taking care of partners, channels, something like this. Or, and or also if you have it, someone taking care of PLG. Those are the four people you need to have in the room on a weekly level and say, where are we today? Where should we be today? And, you know, news, everyone will be off all the time. That's kind of, that's that's what the whole meeting is about. And then number one, you drill a little bit and learn, not from a shitty perspective, but from a learning perspective, why are we off, you know, in that specific area? And there can be multiple reasons to that. And kind of then you, you try and address and manage against that. But even more importantly, so you should try to kind of create almost like a camaraderie around it. It's like, hey, we all need to hit this overall opportunity number or pipeline number, whatever you want to do. Some dials are lower, some are higher. How can all of us pitch in to close that gap, right? Because if marketing is behind and you have three other people sitting in the room being responsible for three different areas, also contributing to the margin, you know, that can, you need to have a conversation to like, okay, you know, VP marketing is screwing up. How else can we kind of potentially support this, right? Kind of really having that kind of level on a, uh, that, that session on a, on a weekly level, I think that helped me a lot drive predictability in the business because it's usually then, you know, if you hit your opportunity numbers, if you hit your lead numbers, if you hit your pipeline numbers, guess what? You know, uh, you're probably going to hit your revenue numbers as well. Uh, but it would be interesting, Raul, kind of is, have you seen those kind of demand gen meetings being a focus or being a thing in, in yeah. some of the, the ventures that you're working with? I will concur with one thing, which is 
the way you just described it, except for one sentence, this could have been an email, right? I, I hate that sentence, by the way, but this meeting could have been an email because what you just described is basically a report that could be sent out automatically where the four different teams have hit their numbers or not. And, and we are updated about that. I don't think that's what you were getting at because you did add the part, which is the most important to me, which is, and then we discuss on how we collaborate on achieving those things. Hey, Tony, you fucked up. No worries. I can get you some more leads. This next week I fuck up. Hey, maybe you have to put in a couple extra hours with your team. That is the meat of that. After 10 years of doing this, I really have only one thing I really hate about meetings and the worst thing that can happen in a meeting to me and that really makes me every single time boil is sitting in meetings and reading things off to each other. So I'm sitting in a meeting and we have an Excel open. I'm reading to you what it says in the Excel. Or I'm sitting in a meeting and I'm reading to you and telling you the numbers that you can see on the, on the board. That is, that is the number one thing that I really say is a waste of time. Because either I can, in the same meeting, let's say you, you didn't manage to send it out before. Just let me have a look at it. I'll, I'll understand it faster than you can talk through it. And if you really need to, I can ask some questions later or send it fucking through before, right? But the one thing that a meeting is for, and that's why we sit 10 grown-ass people together in a room, is to discuss something that needs to be collaboratively discussed. And that's the kind of meeting you were going at, which is if you can sort of take out the part where we look at a dashboard and read numbers to each other, I'm really happy with your meeting. You know what? And this is sometimes where reality kicks in and kicks you in the nuts in that sense. It's like... um. Yeah, people will not be prepared. How do you deal with that, right? People will show up and not be prepared. And you almost need to invest five to 10 minutes in the beginning of the meeting to make sure everyone is starting to be on the same level. And I've tried yeah. this many different ways because as you know, I'm from Germany. I can be a I can be an asshole, but it doesn't help you all that much, right? You can't just say, okay, you're, we're unprepared. Let's shut down the meeting or you leave the room or something like that. It's at least I haven't been able to create that kind of culture. And maybe I also don't want to. But, you know, my stone cold reality that I've been faced with is like, yeah, that VP of sales was really fucking busy and he j just off a big call. Yes. Could he or she be better prepared? Could she have been, you know, reading this in the morning instead of, you know, skipping over? Sure. But I think it's okay to spend five to 10 minutes to kind of get on the same page, basically, and then spend the rest on, you know, learnings coming out of this. So what is happening on the ground? What resources can we shift around? And resources in marketing usually is kind of some ad spend stuff, if you want. Uh, less so, you know, the other stuff is kind of slower moving. And then, you know, what can we do about this? What are the things we can actually start doing here? And that usually is a conversation. And part of that meeting will also be, hey, this is what we discussed last week. Those are the actions we've taken. This is still open, uh, yada, yada, right? Kind of, and really, yeah. really managing the meeting around this. I think this had actually worked pretty well for me. And funnily enough, in most cases, I had my VP of RevOps sitting next to me in all of those calls, not only because I'm really unorganized, but also it's just a different structural kind of opinion sometimes that is really helpful. So th there's a lot of different ways you can solve that problem, by the way. Okay, so yes, of course, there's sort of the utopia of we are all prepared all the time, always. Reality will never look like that. You and I know that. So I know I have great intentions and I very rarely manage to, to achieve those. And it's just even no matter how hard I try, Things come in between all the time and it's just sort of the reality when you're maybe a VP or something level like that. I think we're really doing ourselves a disservice if we act as if that wasn't the case. And if we all the time sort of lie to each other and say, yeah, but from now on, we're always going to have perfectly prepared meetings and perfectly prepared agendas and everyone's going to be prepared and then we are really efficient. That is just not going to happen. I have not seen that in any of our 80 portfolio companies. I haven't seen that at Project A. 
I'm pretty sure you don't have that at Growbox either. No, that's exactly my point, right? So I think if you sometimes for the tee up for the meeting, you will need to spend five to ten minutes not reading off the same Excel spreadsheet, but just like, hey, that's what we've all but that's what we're seeing. That's the situation today, just level setting and then jump into the more valuable stuff of a meeting instead of an email, right? Yeah. I don't know if you have to read stuff of each other because so here's two things that I've seen solve that really well. And I'm employing them sometimes in, in my teams, but I see them also in our organizations. So number one is this is really where automation comes in. So there is a lot of that that you can really automate and a lot of it that is reported uh, reports, dashboards that are just up to date anyways, if you do your job well. So you don't need to do a lot of preparation beforehand. You can just throw it on the board um, and have a good trust that the numbers are, are correct, um, which is already quite a lot to get there, but you can, right? And it's not like impossible. And then number two, and I sort of, I did that once with a team of mine before Project A. If you know how Amazon does meetings, like they sort of, they write stuff down and then the first 15 meeting, minutes of a meeting, we all sit in silence and read through that thing, sort of the memo, and then we discuss that memo. I found that really quite uh, interesting. And what I've done in a while uh, in, 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 a, in a different company was, we sort of agreed, so you and me, Tony, we agree on the fact that we will never be 100% prepared. So we will schedule every meeting, the first 15 minutes, if needed, we will look at each other and say, hey, Tony, are you prepared? You'll say yes. And I'll say, fuck, I'm not. I need 10 minutes. And then we give each other those 10, 15 minutes to prepare that meeting. And we don't judge each other for it. So we know that that's probably going to be the case. Sometimes we're, we're lucky and you had a good day. I had a good day. We're perfectly prepared cool. But every single meeting that I had with like more senior management, we would do that. We would look around, nod at the other and be like, hey, who needs 15 minutes? All right, let's take this. But that only worked really well. It only worked really well when there was a meeting owner who sort of had an agenda because there, there needs to be at least one person who has sort of an idea of where we're trying to get it. But, but I do think, and we could be talking recurring meetings and I am of the belief, not in a hardcore way, but in, in a soft way, I'm of the belief that Every recurring meeting also needs to have a recurring agenda. And for example, if you have a sales forecast, guess what the thing is going to be you know, about? It's going to be about the sales forecast, right? And you have your dashboards and so forth. If it's demand gen, you will have a dashboard somewhere uh, and or similar that you can dive into and kind of consume. And that will be the structure, right? There might be things like follow up from last week, you know, agree on action steps going forward, right? That that will be the recurring thing. So I think for these recurring meetings, that kind of approach can actually really, really nicely work. This should be a recommendation coming out of here. We don't like that we're not prepared. Let's just say it like this. But if it happens because we all trust each other that we have good intentions, then lean into this and spend like a specific amount of time on familiarizing ourselves with the topic and then diving into this. Instead of this, uh, someone is always, you know, trying to catch up while you talk, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And that then just, uh, you know, ends up in just simply less productive, less productive kind of uh, session. One more thing to add is if you do that and you concede to each other that, hey, we're not going to judge each other, we're going to take 15 minutes. Okay. But then after that, we shut off our laptops and we're fully there. Because what I don't want that to happen anymore is that you can then still sort of sit around and try to update some things or, okay, if you take some notes, cool. But like, if we have it that way, we can't also have it the way that you're sort of updating slides still in the meeting. So 
focus in the beginning on updating and then after shut off your laptop 100% attention on the meeting. I think those are some cool tidbits on how to really kind of manage kind of those meetings. But let's just say you have your, I call it actually sales execution meeting. That might be your forecast and legal and procurement and stuff. Then number two, your weekly demand gen, which for me was key. This was my meeting. This was the CRO meeting. The sales forecast was more the VP sales meeting actually. One last meeting that I think is super crucial on a maybe bi-weekly, so fortnightly, so every other week kind of level, um, for us was actually around uh, headcount uh, and hiring and so forth. And depends a little bit on where you are as an organization, you know, totally get this. But basically on, on a fortnightly level, I had with the people-heavy role, so inside sales and account executive uh, and CSM, we had sessions on who's at risk, you know, who is in the last stage of, let's just say, a performance improvement plan, how are we looking on hiring, um, you know, basically kind of managing the workforce in a way that is basically the pipeline before the pipeline. That's what that was always was saying, kind of, if you end up suddenly being five people short uh, on your outbound team, well, guess what? Everyone can perform to expectations, but you're still going to be behind, right? So really kind of making sure that side of the of the pipeline is also fully managed and it needs it needs attention. It honestly needs attention and your HR and talent attraction team is not going to magically by themselves figure this out, right? So it's really um, it's really important to kind of have this ongoing and then loop talent attraction into your needs there. So would you also include then talent acquisition, recruiting, so what I, whatever? What I did meeting? was, uh, because, you know, there's lots of internal chit-chat going on of like, hey, this guy, you know, I'm not sure if it's going to work out. Exclude TA from that, have that conversation with a specific departmental leader, and then, you know, tally this up and, and go to TA. And and what's really important with talent attraction, because, you know, it's all those wonderful HR people, just sending them an email and, hey, we changed priorities, screw this Berlin hire, we're going to focus on London now. That usually doesn't land well. Uh, so having kind of a half an hour update session with them, like, hey, we need to kind of move priorities a little bit around. That was extremely important for us to manage the connection to talent attraction in the right way because otherwise they're going to be like, hey guys, you can't just send me a new priority list every month. This just doesn't work like this. And they're kind of right about it. But sometimes, I mean, you know how it is when you kind of juggle all of those different priorities, then this is just what happens. You know, kind of this, these guys quit, you know, this was a mishire and suddenly you're really behind in Berlin versus in London or the other way around. And then you need to simply shift priorities around. So I've never heard that one, by the way. And I, I, I love that because it really fits into the, hey, as a leader, as a CRO, I need to look at the whole funnel beginning even with the people. And so in, in that way, it is no different from having a meeting with the head of marketing or the head of hiring or the head of HR um, because it's one of the input factors into your revenue at the end. No, absolutely. You know, you sometimes can see when you say something that resonates with the other side and, you know, a light goes on. And I was saying this in my previous company to my CEO and I was saying like, hey, think about those SDRs like a campaign. You need to kick off the campaign in marketing for you to get the traffic, to get the leads, to get the opportunities. It's the same thing here. If the campaign is delayed, guess what? You're not going to hit your target on time. And you need to think about these SDRs in the same way, right? So basically you need to manage further up the funnel on the outbound side or on the you know, whatever you're kind of working on, right? On the AE side, CSM side, and so forth. You know, I have this saying, um, I'd rather lose one AE fully ramped than two SDRs. So this is kind of this outbound world. But again, it's really because of the, you know, them driving revenue versus AEs only kind of converting. And you can always redistribute those opportunities to someone else. And then some AE will be happy kind of to pick them up. Maybe I'm opening up Pandora's box for another whole other topic here. 
uh, role. Sorry for that, but uh, I was just that's why that's why I was so laser focused on the SDR side on the on and that side. You know, it was I think 55 percent of our revenue came from this. That's why I was so yeah. focused on that, right? But but that obviously is only kicks in at a certain point and at a certain organization size. So let's try to wrap this episode up with I would like you to do one exercise for us, which is let's try to sort of you named three, four, five different kinds of meetings. Tell us or tell me how do those evolve maybe from the beginning of the organization, right? So in the beginning, you need that kind of meeting, then you need to replace it or add another one. How does that develop maybe in, I don't know, early stage, mid stage, late stage? How does your evolution of your meetings should look like? I mean, so what's going to happen, the evolution really is driven by it's just more more people. <laughs> that's that's yeah. the underlying problem of everything scale. It's just more people to manage. <clears throat> and what's going to happen, you're going to have more layers in between uh, and things are going to be a bit more serious. But I think at the leaf end of those things, things will be staying fairly similar throughout, right? For example, right now, I'm... Guess guess who's guess who's running those sales meetings? It's me, kind of in Robux right now because of the size that we are, um, in uh, in in you know a future state or kind of what I've been doing previously. You'll have a sales leader or a sales director or VP kind of running that stuff, kind of handing these things up. I think the nature of what's going on in those sessions, I don't think it's going to change all that much. I think then as a next step, you know, you're maybe five to ten million in AI. You haven't gotten around to hire a CRO. The CEO will need to manage the cross-departmental meetings. Kind of, I think you should have a separate meeting for your commercial leadership team than for your direct leadership team, right? Because it might include a couple of other people and only address that. Um, and then I think um, you as a CEO should probably manage the, you know, the demand gen meetings if you have separate heads running this, right? And as you then grow up, you will have maybe a CRO uh, that can take care of that him or herself um, and and create some more distance between you and the rest. I think the last bit is is that. As the organization grows, as the as the pyramid grows, a, a bigger and bigger part of all of those meetings will be around for every single person sitting in there. Will be around communication up and down the chain. So you know you will you know from an hour's time, ten minutes you know looking at a dashboard, twenty thirty minutes discussing the issue, you know wrap up and follow up and whatever you have. Suddenly, an increasing amount of that time will go into like, okay, new information that I need to pass on to those other five people. This year, I learned this. I need to pass this up the chain. So communication and what you need to kind of communicate where will increasingly so take over some of those meetings in terms of necessity, in terms of brain power for you as a leader to make sure you kind of, you know, run a smooth kind of ship by kind of communicating in the right way. I think... That would be kind of the biggest change I feel that sometimes kicks in and people completely blast through this and end up having a bit of a confused organization around them. Maybe one final tiny anecdote to add to that. As obvious as it seems, but one of the things that I've had to learn multiple times, actually, as a leader myself, is how different it is to have an organization of five people already to 10 or 15. It seems like that's so early and actually you deal with 50 or 100 later. But even in the beginning, things are so different. And there's sort of this picture where, depending on the number of nodes that you have in the network, how much it takes for every node to have talked to each other once, right? So if you have, and I forgot the mathematical equation, forgive me right now, but maybe you have heard about that or seen that one. When you have five people, it's actually, no, it's not that different. It's five times four, probably 20, uh, something like that. Yeah, maybe 20, 20 no, connections or so. Five to the power of four or something. I don't know. It's something something like that. Something exponential. Because it doesn't go both ways. Yes. So it's five to the, it's five exclamation mark probably. Either way. So 
the more people you have, it goes from maybe you need 10 meetings theoretically to have all one-on-ones to a thousand to so it's at some point it just becomes unmanageable. And so one of the things I really had to learn more than one time was just to make really sure who needs to talk to who and just be fine with the fact that not everyone is up to date on everything all the time anymore. Okay, Raul. I mean, we started out talking about sales forecasting and how to do it wrong and how to do it right. We talked a bit about, you know, the margin meetings and what to think about this. I think the last meeting we discussed was really how to manage the pipeline before the pipeline. So really kind of on the people side. And then, you know, going through, I think there were some cool nuggets around, you know, meeting best practices. I really love this. Hey, let's not judge each other, but let's have 10, 15 minutes prepared for preparation, basically. And then how some of that stuff changes with the increasing amount of people and calm skills that are coming with it. So, Roll, thanks for uh, thanks for the chat, and I hope everyone listening is enjoying this a lot. Thanks, Tony. Bye, bye.